You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Blog Talk Radio. Hi everyone. Welcome back to the BT Powerhouse podcast. Um, this is our. I believe our 36th podcast, it is October 9th, uh, Friday night, actually. Um, yeah, apparently I don't have enough exciting things to do. <laughs> no, I'm uh, I'm actually excited here to um, to preview Minnesota. Um, a lot of a, uh, exciting things to talk about. Um, we're going to have U Street on from uh, the Daily Gopher, which is SB Nation, the Minnesota blog. And... Um, yeah, a lot of a lot of interesting things to talk about. You know, Minnesota kind of one of those teams that, uh, you know, fans are hopeful, they're optimistic about what what's to come <laughs> in the next few months, I guess. But um, you know, on paper, maybe not quite as strong as that that optimism uh, shows. Um, so it, it'll be interesting, especially because it's, uh, you know, head coach Richard Pitino's third season with the program, um, you know, him trying to build and, you know, head in a certain direction. Um, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be big for that program, especially long-term to see kind of what he can put together this year. If he can sort of, uh, you know, meet expectations, exceed them, get some, some quality wins to his name, to Minnesota's name, it's going to be, uh, you know, definitely a, a big part of that program. But, um, uh, yeah, um, still a few minutes before uh, U Street joins us here. But, um, yeah, I'll, I'll jump into some of my general thoughts on Minnesota, I guess, spinning off of that. You know, I uh, I, I don't want to call Minnesota a, a quote-unquote bottom team in the Big Ten um, just because, uh, you know, they have made the NCAA tournament in recent memory. They have some solid success as a program. They won the NIT two years ago. <clears throat> uh, excuse me, but um, they, uh, you know, they have the program, but uh, you know, clearly haven't been the greatest the last couple of years. Um, not a great record in conference play, and and the thing is, is you know, the reason I I mention that is just because, you know, the teams in that sort of bottomish area over the last couple of years are all in very different situations. Um, you know, you have Penn State and Rutgers and um, Nebraska, some of those types of programs, but Minnesota's one that you you feel like it's going to get there. You feel like it, it can recruit well enough. It has a big enough name um, to really get that, that big, uh, you know, those big recruits, the big names to really, uh, you know, put the team on the next, that next level. Um, but, uh, um, but at the same time, um, you know, they still have to actually, you know, wrap up the wins, so to speak, to actually, you know, move up, move up the food chain, so to speak. But, um, they definitely, you know, they have, they have the name, they have the recruiting, but, 
I, I really view this as sort of a transitional season, um, which I know won't excite Gopher fans, but I, I really think this is a program that really is a about a year away from really hope you know starting that upward trend, that movement towards the top. At least hopefully, you know there there are no guarantees in college basketball, you know especially if you have a you know a young and relatively unproven coach, but um. I do, I do think there is going to be a, a bit of a transition for, uh, for Minnesota this year. Um, you know, they lose some huge players in Andre Hollins, uh, Maurice Walker, uh, DeAndre uh, Matthew, which are three of the top four, top five, you know, maybe top six, depending on how you look at it, but really three of your, the biggest players on the entire team. And, um, to lose all three of those in a single off season is uh, not, not always positive news, <laughs> you know, especially if you aren't, you know, Kentucky and you can bring in, you know, multiple five-star recruits or, you know, these mega recruiting classes, um, you know, that that's going to be a tough thing. And, you know, I am interested to, uh, to talk with uh, um, the Daily Gopher, uh, uh, U Street from the Daily Gopher about, about those things. Um, I think he's having a little trouble uh, calling in, actually. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully he gets on here in a in a few minutes, uh, or else he'll. Um, I'll just be here uh, ch- chatting about Minnesota for a while, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I guess to just jump back into my thing, my my sort of spiel here. Um, you know, I, I really just think it's a transitional season. Um, and that isn't to say there aren't positives. That isn't to say there isn't talent. That isn't to say that Minnesota can't hit the ground running and really put together a really nice year. I just, I wonder where that ceiling is on the season just due to, you know, some of those uh, off-season departures, um, you know, things like that, of that nature. Um I think uh, we might be having a, a bit of an issue. Sorry, sorry for the <laughs> the technical difficulties here. I guess. Um, uh, sorry, I'm just trying to send him a message here real quick so he can. I guess it's it's booting him off <laughs> or something. But um, but yeah, I, you know, I I think um. You know, there is, there is talent on this team. Again, I don't want to, um, you know, act like there isn't talent, act like there isn't a shot that Minnesota really reels off some wins, pull us off some upsets. But sort of the combination of the fact that, you know, we're talking about a team that loses three of its best players, arguably its best two from last year, um, brings in a solid recruiting class, but not exactly, you know, a mega elite class and is trying to not only achieve what it did last year, but uh, up, up the, the ante. I mean, Minnesota, they didn't make the NIT. They didn't make the NCAA tournament. And, um, you know, those typically, you know, for a program, it's hard to say you have a successful season if, if you don't make one, at least one of those. And, um, you know, Minnesota obviously ended up missing the NIT. I know, you know, there's the whole whether you should accept the CBI bid or whether you should not. Regardless of that, um, you know, last season not was not the best year, and you're trying to build off of that. And the thing is, is it's, it's tough when you're losing arguably your two best players, 
a couple other, you know, really big contributors and you're not bringing in, you know, an epic recruiting class or some, you know, instant impact transfers. Uh, you know, we'll talk about some of the newcomers in a little bit, but, um, you know, a couple, they are bringing in a couple transfers, but they're ineligible this year, um, which is definitely a major red flag. Um, you know, if you're trying to replace some, some big guys from a season before, uh, yeah, it looks like we're <laughs> sorry to keep cutting in and out here, but, um, looks like we're having some, still some technical issues with, uh, uh, getting our guest in here, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I guess I'll, uh, I'll start to, I'll start to reel down the old chart here while we wait on him. Um, hopefully he'll be in soon. But, um, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, the first thing I was just going to talk about some general thoughts, uh, obviously talked about those a little bit, um, but uh, regarding the off season losses, um, again, you know, Minnesota is not the only team that's losing some big people in the off season, but they are losing a lot. <laughs> Needless to say from the off season, um, they're losing a, a total of, from the start of last season, they're losing a total of seven players. Um, the ba- the big ones are Andre Hollins, um, DeAndre Matthew, and uh, Maurice Walker. Um, you know, Hollins, uh, top scorer on the team, really good uh, you know, shooting guard, you know, guy in the backcourt who can kind of move around to a couple spots if need be. Uh, really good pure scorer. And... Um, Oh, sorry. <laughs> Just dealing with, uh, we're trying to get you straight in here. Um, but, uh, yeah, I guess to jump back, I, you know, I apologize for this. Uh, you know, we haven't had this issue before, but, um, you know, I guess we're, we're having some issues with our guest line here, <laughs> but uh, yeah, to jump back, you know, they lose a total of seven players, the big three, Hollins, uh, Matthew, Matthew, really good passer in the backcourt. I know he had some issues with turnovers. I know he didn't really start the year that well, but um, really, really did kind of uh, hold down the, the backcourt there and really put together one of the better big 10, uh, one of the better backcourts in the Big Ten and overall probably one of the better ones in the country, even though Minnesota was not a great team overall. The backcourt was pretty solid last year, um, especially when you add in Nate Mason, who um, we'll talk about a little later. But um, uh, between Matthew and Hollins, you have two pretty good guards there who can really make a difference. Um, you know, Walker, key player in the front court. Um, you can also make a case. He was the best player on the team as well last year, um, you know, with Hollins, you know, either way, really you're dealing with those two, um, you know, the other, the other losses, uh, Elliot Eliason, um, backup big man, um, really, uh, you know, I'm, I was working on my preview earlier today for Minnesota and, um, how I kind of phrased it with Eliason is that, um, his loss by itself isn't huge um, in the sense that, you know, if, if he was the only departure, most people probably wouldn't really bat an eye. <laughs> um, you know, he's not, uh, oh, dang, we're still having some issues with that. Um, huh. This is very, 
very odd. Um, sorry, again, I, I apologize for keep cutting in and out here. I'm just I'm trying to get him on here <laughs> so we can uh, hopefully get this to work. But nonetheless, um, uh, Elison, yeah. By himself, that wouldn't be a massive red flag. I mean, you're talking about arguably the the third most used big man on the team. You know, he's a he's a bench player. You know, that's what he was. That's not necessarily a, a bad thing. I mean, you need bench players. Uh, he was a solid bench player. But it gets concerning when you add in that Walker's gone, you know, your starter. Because in theory, you know, if he was back and Walker had left, um, you know, you could potentially have a nice uh, a backup kind of expand his role, reduce some of the pressure on some of the other ones. But, you know, he's also out the door as well. Um, and then you have a uh, Kendall shell as well. But he, he didn't really contribute that much, but um, should be noted that he did. He did uh, leave the program this this season as a departure. Um, and then the other two, uh, Josh Martin and uh, Dequan McNeil, um, both of those kind of left earlier in the season, but they should be noted. Um, and I do want to talk about them for a little bit. Uh, Martin transferred out of the program. And then um, McNeil uh, was actually um, suspended from the team uh, due to some off-the-court issues. Uh, I'm sure everyone's heard about that. Um, don't really want to get too in-depth into those, but the alleged stuff is uh, pretty 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 bad. <laughs> Um, you know, some alleged uh, abuse, uh, uh, domestic violence, those those types of issues. But again, um, you know, you start running into some legal issues and so on. And uh, I, I don't really have the facts. You know, I wasn't there, so I don't really want to speculate on too much there. But nonetheless, he's, he's no longer with the team. Um, so you're really looking at three, you know, big, significant players, uh, a bench player, but a bench player who did play. Um, a bench player who really didn't play, and then two guys who left earlier in the year. So really, really the story is three big players and two bench players. But the reason why I did want to note Martin and McNeil, who did leave earlier in the year um, for various reasons uh, that I already talked about, but the reason why they actually are notable, um, and, you know, this will kind of spin to later when we hit kind of some of the other preview uh, preview issues here, is that um, – you know, these are the, they were the young guys. I mean, they're both, they both were underclassmen. These were guys who were expected to kind of take over some of the roles this year and next year as, you know, guys like Hollins, um, you know, Maurice Walker, guys like that left the program. So the reason why, again, it's kind of like the Eliason thing. It's notable because you don't have, you know, the starting options. You don't have that kind of stuff on the team. Um, so it really, uh, you know, it becomes a red flag due to that. Um, and that, and that's kind of one of the things I wanted to talk about in terms of the, you know, that I talked about earlier uh, regarding the transition. Um, you know, normally I don't like to call seasons a transition because it, uh, it implies that, you know, it's already a lost cause, you know, they don't have talent, so on and so forth. I don't think it's true that that is true. Um, you know, that thought, but what I do think is true about it is that because of some of these losses, you know, it puts a so much pressure on the guys that are left. Um, you know, and this is something that will be talked about throughout the podcast today, but, you know, Minnesota is a thin team now. Um, you know, you're losing three 
you know, starter, quasi-starters, uh, you know, depending on whatever you consider them. But three guys who play starter minutes, you're losing a backup. And then you're losing the two guys who are supposed to kind of develop into those roles this year, um, which means that you really need the newcomers to contribute. You know, you really need um, those guys to hit the ground running because there just aren't a ton of options. Um, oh, it looks like we, we finally got them in here. You uh, Street, uh, did you finally make it on? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, great, great. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if you, you heard me rambling for all the uh, for 15 minutes here or whatever. Yeah, I apologize, <laughs> apologize to to have you go solo there, uh, but I'm here now. Uh, excellent, excellent. Yeah, I'm excited. Heard very little of what you were saying. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, yeah, I'm sure it was uh, was excellent anyway, so you don't have to worry about anything. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, but yeah, I, I was just kind of talking about some general thoughts, uh, some of the off-season departures. Um, so what are your kind of general thoughts coming into the season about Minnesota? Um, and then as well, if you want to just introduce yourself for a second, uh, I believe I already did, but just to uh, give you the opportunity to do that as well. Sure. Um, my name is U Street, which unsurprisingly is a pseudonym. And I'm the basketball writer over at the Daily Gopher, along with Gopher Nation, because we have a theme. And <laughs> in addition to that, I, uh, I write some stuff about football. So I do uh, some posts about charting the University of Minnesota offense this year, various charts and graphs, if you like charts and graphs. Uh, and then for the better part of the fall, we've been running on Monday a football seminar where we read some books and learn a bit more about the violent ballet that is football and that the University of Minnesota <laughs> this year is currently not very good at. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Excellent. In, uh, in regards to what's coming this year, I think the primary thought is youth. Uh, the Gophers are going to be incredibly young this year. I believe they have eight uh, freshmen and sophomores on the team. And a lot of those guys will see time very early on. I think that the roster is a bit in flux. So what exactly Richard Pitino is going to put on the floor at any given time is an open question. That would be the, that'd be the first thing. The, the second thing that I think is important is that they do have the ability to uh, play small they do not really have the ability to play big. So those are the two primary things I have. Yeah. And I, you know, I, in kind of my, my endless rant uh, earlier, um, <laughs> I, I was kind of, uh, I was kind of talking about this, that at least for me, kind of previewing the team, it, I don't want to call it a season of transition. Cause I feel like that gives a bad hint of, you know, the season's already over, you know, there's no talent, et cetera, et cetera. But it really does feel like a lot of these departures have kind of left it in, uh, you know, it just kind of a thin lineup that, um, you know, it, it seems like it's going to take at least a year before that can really build up. Uh, do you agree with that or? Yeah. Uh, as a rational person, I do uh, as a fan. <laughs> absolutely not. We're going to win the big time. Here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, rationally, I, I think you're looking at a team that has a lot of youth, that uh, currently, I mean, they brought in, I think, six or seven guys in the offseason, but two of those players, Devontae Fitzgerald 
and Reggie Lynch, both of whom are low post players, a forward and a center respectively, are transfers. So they're sitting out the year. The front court is very much a, from a recruitment standpoint, coming into its own next year. Bakari Kanate and Gaston Didio will be juniors. They'll have had both game experience and, and time to add additional strength. Jordan Murphy, who will probably, or will be a sophomore. Charles Bugs will be a senior. That, that lineup certainly has far more depth, uh, as well as bringing in, in, in 2016, a couple really good recruits. I think this year, the Gophers, it would be surprising if they didn't finish in the bottom half of the Big Ten. It'd be very nice, but I think it'd be surprising. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I, you know, um, kind of rehash some of the stuff I was talking about, but yeah, I, yeah. I just, it, it just puts a, you know, and part of it, you know, I was talking about even some of the losses, Josh Martin and uh, McNeil, um, it, fans right now, you know, looking back, don't even think about that, but it's like, those guys were the guys who are kind of supposed to come in now and take some of those minutes, take some of those starting roles. And it's like, you lose some of those, you lose the big contributors and then you lose some of the, the bench guys. And suddenly you, those newcomers have to come in and they have to produce immediately. Yeah. And not to make excuses for last year's team, but they are a average free throw shooting percentage away from making the NCAA <laughs> tournament. I mean, they, they lost something like six or eight games within a couple possessions. And if you looked at the free throw stats for that if they just shot average from the line they are you know that game flipped but yeah I I think Josh Martin less so I mean he certainly was supposed to come in but anyone who is willing to leave a team after three weeks is probably not going to be a contributor for that team looking forward uh, Daquan McNeil's loss uh, from the team and was uh, was very unfortunate. I was far more unfortunate as to what Daquan McNeil did, and I had zero problem, still have zero problem uh, with him being uh, having a scholarship revoked and, and being kicked off the team. But certainly, not only did you lose depth there, but the Gophers lost hands down their best perimeter defender overnight. Mm-hmm. And so we're playing most of the season. They brought in some walk-ons, but they're walk-ons. So they're playing most of the season down to scholarships. In a lot of ways, it's back to the months and years in that regard. I think for for this year, the, the nice thing about the youth is that, you know, this isn't football, it's basketball. So you can plug a guy who is 18 years old into the starting lineup and see an appreciable benefit. There isn't the same level of requirements for strength. And it's a lot easier to build up, you know, five pounds and some speed than it is to build up, you know, say 25 or 35. So a player like Kevin Dorsey, who I'm very excited about out of Maryland, I think is going to come into the roster and make a big splash very early on. I think Jordan Murphy has a similar ability to make a big splash early on. And both of those players probably don't have that same level of opportunity if Minnesota looked a lot more like, say, Wisconsin last year. And I don't mean in terms of talent. I just mean in terms of depth and the averageness across classes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and just to put one of your points into context, I, I was working on my preview for Minnesota all day, so I have these numbers up in front of me. <laughs> but um, last year, you know, Minnesota, they went 6-12 and 12 in Big Ten play. Obviously, you know, an underwhelming record. But um, – 75% of those losses came by 10 points or less. 
58.3% came to teams that went to the NCAA tournament and 58.3% came on the road. So, I mean, when you're just thinking about that, more than half, you know, come to teams that are good, more than half come on the road and three quarters of them are close losses. Uh, just brutal. <laughs> just brutal. Yeah, it was, it, you know, it, it was, a, it's a great thing for our blog because when you lose, you get more commentators to come get mad about it. Uh, but I certainly, certainly for the team, it's hard. And I think too, I'm not one to really put a whole lot in momentum in sports, but I do think there comes a point where if you keep losing in close games, the real problem that's associated with that is you start getting tight in that situation. You're just, as an athlete, you're more willing to try and make a play than just playing within the flow of the offense. So I think they lost a lot of games because of that. I think one of the advantages of the youth they have this year is because I think most people are looking at this as a transitional season. If anything, the only person who could theoretically be worried is Richard Pitino. He just signed a contract extension that mm -hmm. the team is in a situation where you can kind of try some stuff. You can get players minutes, you can experiment, you can try and build chemistry, potentially put in some new kinds of offense or a new way of looking at defense, either in man or zone and really work your guys and sort of game reps for most of the season. And every game you win in the big 10 is a bonus. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and, and before we kind of get to, you know, some of this year, um, just to wrap up a little bit on the, I guess, the frustrations of last year, you know, whatever you want to call it. But, um, uh, I, you know, I was talking a little bit before you came on about some of the offseason losses, obviously some big players uh, going out of the door. Um, what what do you think are the biggest offseason losses? Uh, how do you think that factors in? Um, and who do you think? Minnesota can replace who can they not replace uh what are your thoughts on that well, well they didn't lose too many people I mean DeAndre Matthew was a role player by the end of the year Nate Mason had replaced him in the starting lineup uh, Andre Hollins is certainly going to hurt in terms of you just lost your primary score from last year I think the loss to a degree of someone like a Daquan McNeil does hurt this team because you lose someone who would have made a large jump from freshman to sophomore, his freshman to sophomore year, and then would be coming in as a junior with a lot of game experience and uh, a lot of leadership potential. So that, that I think hurt. At the same time, the Gophers lost a lot of players. I mean, they lost a bench role player in Kendall Shell. They certainly lost Maurice Walker, who ultimately is probably going to be the biggest loss going forward, depending on what Bakari Kanate does uh, developing. But I don't think that Maurice Walker by himself was, uh, and Elliot Eliason as well, you know, when they're on the floor, the Gophers tend to play sort of a four out, one in, and they like to shoot the ball. They like to have driving lanes. One of the great positives with Mo Walker, you know, he's good enough to get a summer league invite. One of the negatives with Mo is that he really only had a one or two fit, one or two moves, and was very dependent on his guards being able to feed the ball into the post. And most of the time last year, they weren't that great at that. So in a lot of ways, it's not as if the, the team is losing 
an individual player so much as they're losing a lot of people who have just played before and a lot of people who are contributors at this level. I think one of the problems that occurred last year when the season started getting away is that several of those guys were probably playing hurt. Andre Hollins got hurt again during the year. And what Andre Hollins fully healthy could have been in college is one of those, you know, to the level that it's depressing is one of the depressing stories because you're looking at a guy who was likely an all big 10 player his junior year with the potential to take an even bigger leap and potentially have someone take a flyer on him late in the second round, the NBA draft to go down with that rolled ankle that never fully healed. And then because when he came back from the rolled ankle and playing on it somewhat gingerly, it also aggravated a hip injury. So he had to worry about both and his jumper never quite recovered. Those, those, I think, are the, the consistent problems that the Gophers had. You know, his injuries in a microcosm, which is there's a lot of potential on the team that was not only not realized, it was snuffed out and then beaten on and then buried and then dug up again and killed and then buried again. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's def- he's, it, it was kind of frustrating because, I mean, a couple of years ago, it really did seem like, you know, he was about to break into one of those all big 10 type of guys. And it just, it just never happened. Uh, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, yeah. The past is the past. Uh, let's, let's jump into this season. Um, let's start with the backcourt. Um, I personally, I thought it was probably Minnesota's strongest, uh, positional group last year. Um, you know, maybe it underwhelmed a little bit, but, um, had a few guys emerge. Uh, what do you see out of the backcourt this year? Uh, what are your expectations? Uh, who do you see start, starting uh, in that area? I would imagine that the opening day starters are going to be Nate Mason, Kevin Dorsey, and Carlos Morris as a three-guard lineup. And that could Carlos Morris could be subbed out potentially by a Charles Bugs or a Joey King, depending on how Patino chooses to deal with his front court. In terms of a breakout player, I think it's Nate Mason by a long shot. As I said, I'm very excited about Kevin Dorsey's potential, but as excited as I am, you know, he's not mellow Trimble. So he's not, he's not an unreal guard coming out of Maryland. He's just very good. He's very fast. He's going to be very solid on the defensive end. But Nate Mason proved last year when he was on the court that he definitely can run the offense, that he can step back, he can hit threes. He has a solid hesitation dribble, which means he's fast for, but he's, you know, by D1 standards, he's certainly not the quickest player out there, but he does a very good job using his body, using fakes and using a quick first step to get acceleration to the rim. I think he's going to have the chance, especially in this offense, to put up a lot of points and to facilitate in a really exciting manner. Carlos Morris is an enigma in a lot of ways, there are, there are games where he is close to not missing, even though he takes these absurd circus shots. And then there are other games where he misses because he takes absurd circus shots. That I, that I think is a, is a question going forward for this year. Can he improve not only his shot mechanics and get a bit bigger? I think he was playing last year at 185. And if you want to play small forward in the Big Ten, you really have to be much closer to 200, assuming you don't lose speed there. But also, can he improve his shot selection? 
because if he is throwing up long twos with 28 seconds left in the shot clock, the Gophers are going to be in for a long season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, um, at least for me, talking about just, you know, the point guard, shooting guard position. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, it's Nate Mason, uh, Kevin Dorsey are going to be the guys who run that. Um, the bench does interest me a little bit. I think um, uh, I'm expecting kind of uh, McBriar, the, the incoming uh, freshman, to kind of take on that role. But um, Mason seems to be a guy who can kind of move around. So maybe he can mask some of those problems. Do uh, you agree with that? or? Yeah, I think this backcourt is going to be entirely interchangeable. Dupree McBriar supposedly can play defense on anyone from a one to a three, which the way Patino talks about him, he sort of seems to remind him of a poor man's Austin Holland, that kind of ability to to guard a little bit bigger guys. Uh, He's a little bit older too, I think. Uh, Kevin Dorsey is definitely someone who who can play a combo. He played point guard predominantly in high school, but definitely could shift over and guard the twos. Ahmad Gilbert is an interesting prospect in that he's very tall. I mean, he's 6'6 for a point guard. He's 210 pounds. So that's, you know, prototypical NBA point guard size, which uh, Minnesota historically, certainly under Patino's short reign, hasn't really gotten any guy in that height range. But even prior in the Tubby Smith era, we don't historically recruit tall point guards. So Gilbert's another person who could potentially slot over and move to the two or the three. And that's why I said earlier on, I think that if the Gophers can play small and if they can hit outside shots, the team has the potential to be very dangerous. I mean, almost like a Marquette four or five years ago, where they would play that lineup that was more or less five guards and just dare someone playing center to come guard them. The Gophers probably aren't going to be that silly, but they definitely (laughs) have the ability to play a very fast, very small lineup. And if you couple that with the Patino press, there is a potential if they can get the game moving fast, get a lot of possessions to be in a lot of games, or at least, you know, much like the Minnesota Timberwolves to sort of be the college version of league pass worthy in that they may not be good, but they probably will be interesting. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, I, I think the backcourt and particularly Kevin Dorsey is so huge to playing that small ball. Um, you know, I, I don't want to say the wing group is is great for Minnesota because I, I don't know if there's a star in it this year, but I think there's a lot of depth. I think there's a lot of proven guys. And the thing is, is I, I think it'll work great if you can keep, you know, Carl's uh, – and I don't want to get too far ahead because I know we're going to talk about the wings in a second. But, you know, if you can keep King, Bugs, Morris, all those guys in that group and just leave it to Dorsey, uh, McBriar, and Mason in the backcourt – I think that's going to really make you a more dynamic team. Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess we might as well jump into the wings there with that, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, if those three guys can kind of manage those minutes, it'll be huge. But, um, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, jumping into the wings, I guess we might as well. Uh, I already got into, yeah. uh, what, what do you expect of the wing position? I know you kind of talked about Morris being in the starting lineup, but, uh, what do you kind of see that? forward uh power forward type uh, area sure well i'm happy to say that minnesota's wings aren't going to be great the <laughs> the team is uh, joey king and charles carl uh, wow 
Uh, Joey King and Charles Bugs are going to be the primary returners along with Carlos Morris. Uh, how they sort out those minutes is probably an open question. And then it depends on how you classify Jordan Murphy. I mean, Jordan Murphy is a very interesting recruit. He was a VCU recruit. Shaka left, went to Texas, and he flipped his commitment to Minnesota. He's a very tall and very big guy. The six 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 seven two thirty, I think, is what he's listed at. With the caveat that college rosters probably would make me two hundred and eighty five pounds, and I am <laughs> about a hundred pounds less than that. But the the thing that he potentially can bring is this world class athleticism. So he has the ability to run up and down the floor and keep up with a three but potentially has the size and the strength to play against a four. If he is better than expected, I think I, that Minnesota's wings have a very interesting way of matching up with people. I don't necessarily think they're going to be the strength of the team, but I do believe that they can hurt some people who are trying to take advantage of Minnesota's youth precisely because you, within that group, every single one of those players can step back and hit the three. Bugs has a very nice stroke. King is very good in the secondary break, just sort of doing that kind of classic lollygag behind everyone and just pull up from uh, you know a middle of the court three situation. He's good on the wing, and for reasons that I still can't understand, people in the Big Ten continue to bite on his obvious pump fake. That that team is right there has some solid pieces. If the Gophers had more top end talent, either at the center position or at the point guard position, I think that kind of talent would be very, very nice for a team that was competing for an NCAA tournament berth because there's depth there and there are players who if one gets into foul trouble, you can slot in another guy who will provide a similar skill set but with some wrinkle, whether it's they're faster or they're tough. Uh, Joey King, for example, you know, broke his jaw and then was back into practice like the next day. <laughs> so you have, you have that. The, all of them, I think, are going to be weak on the rebounding front. I think Minnesota is going to struggle once again like they did last year in giving up second chance opportunities. And for a team that had trouble scoring last year, and definitely will probably have trouble scoring this year. The more second chance opportunities you give is not going to be great. I think there is a question on whether or not our wings can match up in terms of toughness during the Big Ten. Fortunately, Eddie Hightower no longer calls games, but the Big Ten is still going to be incredibly physical, and our wings have trouble to a degree, certainly did last year, in handling that physicality, especially just guarding players who are simply bigger than they are. I mean, if, if you're going up against someone who's 6'9", 6'10", and you're a very generous 6'8", and you're very skinny, that's going to be difficult for you. So on the offensive end, I think that position group can compete. I still don't think on the defensive end they're particularly proven. I don't think cleaning the boards they're particularly proven. And that for a team that was trying to get to the NCAA tournament, I mean, had a very realistic shot of doing that would be worrisome. I mean, that's probably why we would say, oh, Minnesota's probably a bubble team this year because they're going to struggle. Since, as I've already said, I don't think an NCAA tournament is realistic for this team, though it would be amazing if it happened. 
I think that's going to be less of an issue, but the Gophers are probably going to lose games because they simply can't keep other teams off the glass. Yeah, I, you know, I, I will say I do think I'm a little higher on the wing group than you are, but, um, you know, I, I would love it if it just had that one top end guy, I, you know, and I know that's, you know, easy to say, you know, <laughs> um, but, but there's, I like the depth. I like the different options. I mean, you have a couple of freshmen coming in that you can kind of work in, develop, see how they work out. But, um, but yeah, I, I do think you're right. You know, there aren't necessarily great rebounders. Uh, you know, you have guys like Morris and King who probably don't have a ton of upside. I, you know, we'll see, we'll see. I mean, maybe they've really developed, but they're probably guys. They just are what they are now. You know, they're not bad players, but they're not great players. Um, on a big ten team. There. Yeah. Uh, I think Joey King is a very nice asset. I think Carlos Morris is a very nice asset. If both of them were playing 12 to 15 minutes a game, uh, we would think mm-hmm. that Minnesota has a very good basketball team. The fact that they are starting indicates that there simply isn't the level of depth there. I mean, the one guy who I think could potentially turn into that top-end guy is Charles Buzz. He has a very nice-looking stroke from distance. He's generally a very good catch-and-shoot player. He also has massive hops. He threw down a couple of awesome highlight reel dunks last year. His biggest problem in the entire time he's been at school is, one, he's still too skinny, and, two, he's simply been inconsistent. I mean, he'll have games. Or usually when playing Iowa, where he can't miss. He is fantastic in all facets of the game. And then he'll have other games where he just disappears and plays, you know, nine, ten minutes. That mm-hmm. kind of potential is there, and I'd love to see it. I'm a big Bugs fan. I'd love to see him break out and be successful. But I think right now we have a lot of role players who are being pushed into stars minutes. Yeah, I, I think there's a I think there's a lot of depth. You know, I, I, I am kind of positive that I think kind of the uh I don't know what to call it, the the stew of so many, you know, different solid role players will hopefully, you know, break out one or two, especially, you know, you're talking about, you know, Bugs who has some upside. You're you know, you're talking about the two freshmen. Um so I guess in theory, you know, you hope one or two guys can break out. But um but yeah, I, I think it's Definitely, in my opinion, it's the most proven position group on the team, but not necessarily the best. You know, definitely not the most upside for sure. Um, but yeah, with that, why don't we uh, why don't we jump into the front court here? Um, you know, we talked a little bit about some of the departures, but how do you see things uh, sorting out there this year? Well, list on the roster coming into the season, and again, this sort of depends on how Jordan Murphy is eventually used. The Gophers have three players on the roster who are realistically fours and fives. Joey King will play at the four. Charles Bugs will play at the four. They're not fours. They're threes. They're tall. They're very skinny. They're more athletic. Guarding bigger physical players is a challenge for those players. They're threes, and that's not at all a criticism that the Gophers just don't have the depth right now to really have a true four with depth on the team. So the two returners are Gaston Didier, which is an amazing name 
and also a nice player, but a player who played sparingly last year because the University of Minnesota apparently doesn't recognize the TOEFL scores are a totally reasonable thing. And for a player who speaks three languages, apparently wasn't allowed to be admitted into the university for a semester. But I am not bitter about that. <laughs> the, the other player who I think, if I had to pick my dark horse surprise candidate to break out this year is Bakari Kanate. And he is a player who is raw, but he is a player who is incredibly exciting because he is very tall, he is very strong, he is very athletic, and he has the ability, when he's not fouling, which was often last year, to match up against any center that he's going to play this year. They're in a game that obviously they lost fairly badly to uh, Wisconsin. He came in and more or less shut down Frank Kaminsky, Kaminsky on the offensive end for five to six minutes. And that was due almost entirely to the fact he's just very fast and very, very tall. So I think if he develops an offensive game and he's got a nice little turnaround hook shot, he can definitely dunk with the best of them. He's reasonably good at putting back shots on the offensive glass. So if he can develop, you know, one or two moves, basic power post step, and if he can rebound on the defensive end because he's really going to be the primary rebounder there. There's the opportunity for him to really jump out and surprise some people this year. So if I was giving my wildly optimistic Homer soda kind of preview, I think I would say if he's playing very well, the Gophers do have the chance to surprise some people this year and potentially get to be a bubble team. I um, couldn't agree more with your assessment. Um, the word that I would describe Keontae is uh, um, raw. You know, he he is the perfect guy, the perfect center for a spread if he develops into – or not uh, the spread. Thinking too much football here with, uh, with all the games tomorrow. Um, the press. He's a perfect guy for a press system. It's just he has to develop into a skill set. And I – you know – Will that ever happen? I don't know. But, you know, he reminds me of a lot of those centers that um, the other Patino <laughs> uh, will have in Louisville all the time. And I think yep. um, if he if he develops into that, you know, this team could be very, very good. Um, I'm You know, I'm not going to say, you know, Big Ten title good or anything like that, but it's definitely a, a tournament team. However, having said yeah. that, having said that, um, I'm not sure that he will, you know, again, you know, you're talking about, you know, the top of his ceiling. I don't know if he'll get there. And especially uh, this year, um, I think he's probably still a year or two away from really hitting that, you know, maybe he starts to get there at the end of the year, but um, you know, we'll have to see uh, the other guy uh, that you talked about. Uh, excuse me. Uh, Dieto, um, not, I'm not as high on him, but I, I do think he can be a solid bench option. Um, and again, you know, uh, you know, when I was kind of previewing this position uh, myself uh, for my preview today, I was just kind of like, this is a question mark. You know, it, it could be really good. It could be the worst position group on the team. It, it, it's just hard to tell because, I mean, you're talking about two guys who haven't played a lot. Um, there isn't a ton of depth. Um, 
How, how, what do you what do you think? Do you think he can hit that potential this year, or or do you agree? Do you think it's a year or two off? Uh, I I think it's a year or two off. I there admittedly when you when you sort of study and you look at where people make the biggest improvement, especially with more players just being ready to play the college game, so being able to come in and contribute as freshmen. The big jump is between freshman and sophomore year. That off season. Mm-hmm. And then that sophomore year campaign is where you find out if you've got a guy who's really a player. And that's true for more or less every team that is willing to play underclassmen. So teams that are very top heavy or very senior laden will maybe you may not see this. So a team like, you know, again, Wisconsin will probably obnoxiously have some sophomore play, role player this year break out and score 30 points. <laughs> But for most teams, that's, you see that freshman sophomore thing. If you've got a guy who you think is talented and has a lot of potential, as a freshman, you look at him and say, where's your tools? That's that offseason. So for Kanate to be successful, he obviously needed to have a great offseason. And who knows if that occurred. You need to get lucky because if you can get, I think if you have a young player at, at any level, being able for them to experience some success early, you know, find something that works, gain some confidence, that's, tr- that's crucially important. And lastly, for Kanade specifically, he has to be able to stay on the floor. I mean, the, mm-hmm. when he was on the floor last year, he was a good basketball player. But he was on the floor rarely because he'd foul twice in 30 seconds and then was promptly <laughs> yanked. This year, he can't do that and not just can't do that for his own personal development the gophers have no other center on the basketball team who can suit up and play they have no other true center on the team so if he gets into foul trouble the gophers are going to get small in a hurry and lose a lot of basketball games i think that's good because it places a lot of responsibility on him and i think like any player i don't think anyone becomes a d1 athlete without wanting to work hard so if you can place that kind of responsibility and say this is what you're working to, you could potentially reach that potential early. But I would agree that I think the comparisons that have been made for him to like a Gorgie Dang, for example, or one of the classic Louisville centers, that may be true when he's a senior, and, but it's not going to be true this year unless beyond wild, optimistic dreams come true. I agree. Yeah, I, you know it. He's a great guy, you know, especially, you know, if you're a Minnesota fan thinking over the offseason because it's one of these, you know, man, if this guy's good, uh, you know, the whole all the projections about this team could be completely wrong. But realistically speaking, yes, it's probably going to be a little bit before he hits if he ever does. I mean, again, you know, we're talking about a really raw prospect that, um, you know, may never develop into that talent. You know, we just we don't know. I mean, he just hasn't played enough. Um, to really have that gauge yet. But having said that, um, yeah, it's the front court is really him or bust uh, this year. You know, I, I hate to put yeah. it all on one on one player, but, um, you know, he has to carry that flag, you know, as you've talked about. And it'll, it'll be very interesting to see if he does. Um, you know, I'm a little skeptical to think he can do it at a, at a very high level. But, you know, if he can at least be all right, um, you know, maybe Minnesota will have a chance in some of these, uh, you know, winnable games down the stretch. Um, but, yeah, I, I guess moving on, we've talked about almost them all. But uh, 
I did want to talk about some of the newcomers um, just to kind of refresh uh, who's, who's new to the team, who's coming in. Um, do you want to take a second to talk about, I guess, the recruiting class? Uh, each, uh, I know you talked about them uh, a little bit, but the two transfers coming in for a second. Sure. So the first transfer is Devontae Fitzgerald, who comes from Texas A&M. He'll be sitting out this year. And the second one is Reggie Lynch, who came from Illinois State, but is originally from Minnesota. He's from Edina, Minnesota. And he will also sit out this year. Fitzgerald's transfer is interesting in that if you look at the efficiency statistics, he doesn't seem to be a particularly efficient player. He seems to be a bit of a chucker, but it was also as a freshman. So he's playing, you know, far fewer minutes than he would have been playing. Otherwise, it may not work within the system. I think he's a little bit of a question mark. Lynch is, for all intents and purposes, a true classic back to the basket. I'm going to completely take over the lane on defense center. He was a great shot blocker at Illinois State, and while to a degree the value of blocked shots is overrated, he definitely has the ability to alter shots at the rim. The Gophers are missing that player. We've already talked about Kanate, but definitely for the sake of argument, he is not Reggie Lynch in terms of just pure size. That, I think, is next year. It would not shock me at all that you would see Lynch and Kanate playing at the same time and sort of having this kind of twin towers front court. So those are, those are the two transfers. My guess is that Devontae Fitzgerald is going to be a role player next year. I don't see with the players they're bringing in in 2016 and with the number of players they already have, especially with the fact that Bugs is still going to be a senior next year. He's a redshirt junior this year that there's a lot of minutes available for him, but uh, Reggie Lynch will more than likely start next year. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just to, you know, add a couple more comments about uh, Reggie Lynch specifically. Um, fun fact, he actually was the national leader in block rate uh, by Ken Palm of, uh, of players who played 40% of minutes. So, uh, Random fact there, and I, I think that's a, a nice statistic to lead the country in. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, and then one other yeah. thing I did want to bring up, uh, you know, you were talking about, you know, shot blocking generally. Um, I am interested to see how the sort of the new rules are going to affect that. Um, they've expanded the circle, uh, you know, underneath the rim. So I am interested to see if shot blocking becomes a little more important without without it you know being as easy to get kind of the uh you know the the charge call but um but yeah I, I i do think he will likely start next year um unfortunately obviously for gopher fans uh not eligible this year um neither of them are <laughs> but um yeah and then and then some of the recruits uh you know i, I know we talked about them but uh if you want to just i guess jump through them uh real quick here uh before we move on Sure. We, we can start with the recruit who won't play, which is Jarvis Johnson. He was a four-star out of Minnesota who unfortunately has a heart condition and has a pacemaker. And while he was recruited and was committed, came to the university, the University of Minnesota doctors, and I would also imagine the University of Minnesota's general counsel, 
is not willing to let him take the floor. He, for the moment, is designed to stay at Minnesota. It wouldn't surprise me at all that he transfers somewhere in the offseason if he can find a program that will let him play. It's really unfortunate, not only for Jarvis, but also for the team itself, because he was going to be a very good basketball player at the college level. But ultimately, if you're the University of Minnesota, you care about liability, and certainly for, from a health perspective as well, it did not seem, as far as the University of Minnesota's doctors were concerned, that that was an acceptable risk for him to play. So he won't be in the class, which probably drops us down a few ranks on the uh, recruiting class ranking. The second major recruit uh, was Kevin Dorsey, who's out of Maryland, who will more than likely start at one of the guard positions. He's a very fast player. He has the ability to go end to end. He's a very strong defender. He supposedly has the ability to hit the outside shot. How true that will be, I suppose we'll find out this year, but he's also considered very smart, which means that he should have no problem running Patino's offense, which no one would confuse for rocket science. The third guard is Ahmad Gilbert, who is a later recruit in the year. He was undecided for a very long time. I think he was a three-star. Uh, he's 6'6", 210. He's out of Philly. He played, uh, I think, in Class A, but he's a dynamic scorer, can guard multiple positions. So I think he'll be a nice role player. And depending on his transition to the college game, he certainly has a more college frame being 210 pounds and 6'6", so there may be some matchup reasons where he sees the floor, especially if he can prove that he has the ability to be there early on. The next major guard is Dupree McBrayer, who's a little bit older. He's from Sunrise Christian Academy in Queens, and Dupree can play one to three. He's a big guy. I can't remember if he's a coach's son, but he's been playing basketball from a very early age. He's also considered a smart player, according to Patino, and I think that he will be the sort of role player of the guards that we've brought in. He provides added depth. He gives you some matchup options, but he's not discussed in the same breath as, say, Kevin Dorsey. And then lastly is Jordan Murphy, uh, who we touched on multiple times in this conversation, who could either play the three or the four, has great athleticism, has the ability to defend multiple positions. And I think that's a consistent aspect of Patino's recruiting. He definitely runs a guard offense. He runs a press on defense. He likes to be in transition. He likes his teams to run and move, but he also seems to be targeting players who he can put in at multiple slots on the basketball court. And that potentially, if you hit right with those players, can pay a lot of dividends for you because you can present a really dynamic basketball team that's really hard to defend. Of course, if you miss on those players, you become very dominant in one area of the team and you expose yourself in similar ways. And so for Minnesota this year and next year, it's sort of a question of how good are those guards, those new players going to come in to justify the fact that Patino legitimately could play a starting five that was all guards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I think it's a, uh, um, 
You know, and, and one thing I, I did want to add, I guess, uh, you know, about the, the Jarvis Johnson situation is, you know, it's another one of those things, you know, kind of the McNeil thing. You know, I don't want to compare them at all. Obviously, totally different situations, but um, just unfortunate, you know, uh, situations that really takes, I mean, all told, you know, Minnesota's talking about a backcourt that has Mason, Dorsey, uh, McNeil, and Johnson, and now, you know, they just have Dorsey and Mason and uh, McBriar as well. But um, just unfortunate, you know, they, they've had a lot of bad luck just in terms of those those types of things. But um, uh, just in terms of the offseason losses and, you know, some of the depth issues they have this year, uh, you know, are caused by just unfortunate situations, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I there there certainly is some level of randomness. I think if you are a Minnesota sports fan, it doesn't <laughs> seem that random to you. <laughs> Definitely. But, uh, there there is though. I Jarvis Johnson is is a great example of both the excitement that's come with the team because. Jarvis Johnson may or may not have stuck around for some hypothetical other coach, but I find it very hard to believe that Jarvis Johnson would have played for Tubby Smith, given Tubby Smith's consistent striking out when trying to get De La Salle, which is one of the two powerhouse Minnesota programs, to commit. He wasn't particularly successful uh, over his tenure, and he ran an offense that I don't think Jarvis Johnson would have liked. So Patino is going after these four- and five-star recruits that a lot of other big programs are going after as well, and he's getting those guys. And 2016 is similar, obviously, the major recruit being Amir Coffey. So thanks to the Chicago Bulls for taking Fred Hoiberg out of the contention on that. But what we've unfortunately as a team had at the same time is hitting those recruits but also having problems when we actually get into the season, whether it's injuries, whether it is off the field, off the court problems, what have you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, um, you know, and and just, you know, I don't want to run this point into the ground, um, but, you know, it it is one of those things because, you know, uh, you know, hopefully no one does get injured. uh, I'd never wish any ill on any of any player uh, at the college level, but, um, you know, if, if Mason or Dorsey does unfortunately go down at some point this year, uh, you know, the backcourt is just going to be decimated. And, you know, it's unfortunate that these, these unforeseen and really unpredictable situations, uh, would, would do that. But, you know, sometimes I guess, the you know, that's how the luck works out. Um, yeah. but I guess, uh, yeah, moving on from the point, uh, you know, I, I think I've run it into the ground here, but, uh, um, the schedule, um, Minnesota has a, uh, a, an interesting schedule this year. I, I wouldn't necessarily say great, but, uh, an intriguing one. Um, what are your thoughts on the schedule? I know the big 10 one's kind of predictable, but, um, what are your thoughts at least on the non-conference, uh, part of the schedule this year? Mm. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, they're, there aren't a whole lot of games that from a fan are particularly exciting to go to. I mean, the at least looking at it, the best team might be Oklahoma state and they're playing them in like South Dakota or something. Mm. 
Other other than that, I mean, the ACC Big Ten Challenge game is Clemson, which is gross. <laughs> the, the you know you got you got Temple. This isn't this is this is a schedule that the first I mean the Gophers are not making the NCAA tournament, but in an alternate universe where they had a chance to make the NCAA tournament, this is a kind of non-conference schedule that you more or less have to come out undefeated. Uh, <laughs> maybe one loss, but otherwise. There's no one in this non-conference who is going to be exciting, is going to be there at the end of the year, is going to be considered a quality win. And while some of them could potentially be not bad losses, the majority of them would be. Mm. The Big Ten schedule, I mean, it's schedule. I think there are some advantages. You know, Michigan State goes to Minnesota. We get Indiana at home. Uh, we get Wisconsin at home this year. We have to go to Iowa. But by and large, the good teams in the conference, and we go play Ohio State, and we have a double with Michigan. So most of the teams that would be likely contenders, are gonna, we're going to see them at the bar. We're better at home. The Minnesota is dramatically better at the bar than they are on the road. They are very bad on the road. So that, from a, from a matchup perspective, is nice. And I think that the Big Ten has the potential to have a lot of teams in the tournament like they have had the last couple of years. So there certainly is the potential for the Gophers to be on a primetime network somewhere and get picked up by ESPN if they're playing well or if their opponent is playing well and potentially score and upset on national television, which usually is beneficial for recruiting. Yeah, I, you know, I, I will, I will note, I do agree with you in terms of the home non-conference schedule. I think the home non-conference schedule is terrible. I, you know, I, I won't debate that at all. You know, Clemson is the best game by a mile. I mean, South Dakota state is okay, but I mean, you're talking about Clemson and South Dakota state. I don't think that's going to, you know, get many people excited. Um, but uh, but yeah, the home the home slate is pretty underwhelming. But you know, I I do think for a team that's you know did miss the NIT last year, looks like it's probably NIT bubbleish. I don't want to you know we'll get into the predictions later, but um, not top twenty five, probably not NCAA type team. Um, you know, I I do think it's nice to have games that are pretty winnable. Um, you know, games that are sort of you know the fifty fifty type thing. I think Oklahoma State Minnesota probably pretty comparable. Um, and then the one thing, uh, you know, the trip to Puerto Rico, uh, you know, the Temple game you were talking about, um, they do have potential games with Utah and Butler as well in that tournament, which uh, I don't know if I like my Minnesota's chances in those games, but uh, those could be intriguing, I guess. Um, <laughs> probably very tough game matchups if they do happen. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's a reasonable schedule for where Minnesota is. Um, having said that, the home schedule – uh, non-conference-wise, is pretty underwhelming, as you mentioned. Um, Big Ten slate, totally in agreement. Um, the Big Ten, uh, I get tired of saying this sometimes, but the Big Ten looks sacked. <laughs> it's going to be a brutal a brutal schedule. Um, you know, this is one of the things I, I had put in my preview today, but, um, you know, Minnesota has 18 conference games, you know, just as everyone else has, and 15 of them, so 15 of the 18 games, are against a team that made the tournament last year, 
uh, is currently projected to be in the top 25 this year, or they're on the road. So yep. pretty much, pretty much there are three gimme quote unquote games. The rest are all going to be very difficult to win. Um, so I, I, you know, when you, when you kind of look at it that way, it's just like, you know, it's going to be tough. It's going to be a buzzsaw. Um, and you hope you can just pull some upsets here and there, but um, yeah, I agree. I think Minnesota has a great home court advantage. So, you know, maybe they can pull a couple off, you know, maybe uh, I believe they play Wisconsin at home, you know, maybe they can get a rivalry win, um, something like that to kind of uh, boost the morale, <laughs> so to speak. Um, I was yeah. thinking oh, go ahead. in anything, I think in anything, if the University of Minnesota is expected to have a bad season, but they beat Wisconsin, every Minnesota fan is fine with that. <laughs> I would, I assume it, I assume it is the equivalent of Michigan beating Ohio state. Even if the season's gone up in smoke, if you beat Ohio state, it's a good season. Oh, I, I can say that from personal experience. Oh, as I mentioned, I'm virtually every podcast, but uh, I am a diehard Michigan fan. And um, <laughs> Michigan did not have the greatest season last year, uh, just 16 and 16. But beating Ohio State uh, in Ann Arbor uh, towards the end of last year was uh, was delightful. Um, I, I enjoyed that game. But, um, <laughs> but I guess uh, jumping back here to Minnesota, um, so, you know, we talked a lot, a lot about the roster, um, but moving kind of back more generally, um, what, what are, what's kind of a, a surprise or sort of an unexpected thing that I guess most of the experts aren't saying or that you might think uh, is set to happen with the Gophers this year? I think most of the experts are predicting us to lose every game. So I think winning some games would be a surprise. <laughs> Surprise to the experts. I I suppose that if I was throwing my bowl prediction hat on, I think Nate Mason will make an all Big Ten team. I think that would probably be something that would be relatively surprising. The other thing I think would be surprising is the play of the freshmen and sophomores. I mean I don't think that Minnesota is going to win a lot of games this year, but I do think Minnesota has the potential to be extremely watchable. In college basketball, with the rule changes this year, hopefully this will change, but most people, if you're just flipping through channels, are not going to watch a college basketball game that they have no specific ties or affiliations to, because the game's gotten boring. It's low it's very deliberate there's a lot of fouls because it's very physical and the referees haven't quite been consistent on certain things and so you get into these boring slog fests there are teams at the college level that just don't have the ability to make the three to force people to actually guard out to the the three-point line to the lane stack that makes sort of unwatchable basketball Minnesota, uh, by contrast, at least in terms of the system they would like to play and the athletes they seem to recruit, are going to be in a situation where we may just run for 40 minutes and have a kind of pickup game. And there are a lot of athletes on that team. So if you're looking for dunks, either way, I think you're going to see them in a Minnesota game. I think you – and I think that's something – 
you know, it's not exactly an answer to your question, but I think most experts <laughs> would look at Minnesota this year and say that is going to be a bad basketball team. And I'm not willing to fully disagree with that, but I will say they're going to be an interesting basketball team. And I think the mm-hmm. Patino experiment in the Big Ten, especially if he can get some, is something that can make, make the Big Ten not Big Ten. Make them move, make them be a more transitional game. And this, I mean, this has been true in Minnesota for you know, nine, ten years now. I mean, under Tubby Smith, the consistent frustration that I had was that he recruited a lot of horses and refused to let them run. And the best win of his career when they upset, at the time, number one Indiana at home was because since Tom Crean is, of course, an amazing basketball coach, he decided to try and speed up the tempo, and finally that team got to run. I think that you'll see something similar in the non-conference. Minnesota is not going to beat any team if the possession is in the low 60s. They're just not. They don't have the firepower to do that. They will probably get better at free throws, but at least based on last year's total, they don't have the ability to make foul shots in a way that a low possession game is something they're going to win. So they're going to have to try and speed up the tempo and that make this team a fun team to watch. Yeah. I mean, um, I don't think I'm totally in agreement with the, the general basketball comments there, but uh no, debate for another time, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, well, I, yeah, love, I, I love watching college basketball. I, it's my favorite thing to watch. But I think that the Big Ten, I mean, let's, let's be realistic. No one wants to watch a Penn State-Minnesota game where the first team to 50 wins. And I, a lot of I, times, if you've got a bad basketball team, that's what, that's what happens if they don't want to run. I, I think I, I agree with that that concept, but I think you could say the same te- thing for basically every conference out there. If you pick two of the teams that are kind of struggling, I mean, oh yeah, yeah, and, and you know, it, and, I mean, but if you say you know Indiana, Wisconsin, something like that, you know, a lot of people are going to be interested, etc. But but again, you know, discussion for a different time, uh, you know, all of that, but <laughs> um. <laughs> But yeah, but yeah, I do think Minnesota is going to be a more interesting team. Um, they're fun to watch. You know, I, I think especially this year with, with, you know, being a younger team, more athletic, more talented, at least on paper. Um, yeah, they should be a fun team to watch. I don't necessarily know if they'll be a great team in terms of, you know, skill set actually winning games, but, um, but they should be fun. And I, and I will say, you know, my, my hashtag hot take here is uh, <laughs> I, I, I think they're going to knock off someone big towards the end of the year when they finally find that lineup that works well for them. Uh, you know, maybe when one of those guys can, can really pop out one of those guys outside of Dorsey, uh, I should say, uh, you know, one of the younger guys, but, um, but I think they're going to knock off someone uh, just looking at the schedule. They have uh, in mid February on, they have home games against Michigan, Maryland, and Wisconsin. I think they're going to knock off one of them and, you know, that at least would be a nice touch to a uh, a season that you know we'll talk about predictions in a second, but doesn't look to be that outstanding. I should I should say, but um yeah, but yeah with that why don't we why don't we jump into the the predictions here? Um, so what do you got? Uh, what, how do you see Minnesota um, finishing in the Big Ten? Do they make the postseason? Uh, what tournament would they make? Um, what's your prediction? 
Well, it, my so my fan prediction, purely Homer, is obviously they're going to win ten games. My <laughs> if I had to put if I had to put some money down, I think I think five wins in the big. I don't believe they will make a postseason tournament because they won't accept a CBI invitation. Mm-hmm. I think they'll more or less uh, run the non-conference. I don't think they'll go particularly far in the Puerto Rico tip-off, but I think they should be favored to win every other game, and I expect they probably do. So we're looking at sort of a 16-win, 17-win campaign, which for a team in rebuilding mode, which this team is in transition, is not not terrible. I mean, it's not going to be fun to watch. I think a lot of it's going to be rather aggravating. I... As a Minnesota fan, I'm never optimistic that they will score a late upset when they're supposed to. But if they were, I think that team is probably Maryland. I think that's the team that they potentially match up with, uh, match up with the best in that it's at home and it's late. And Maryland has the definite potential to choke late or make things more interesting <laughs> than they probably should. So that would be that would be the game that I would say is the sort of most likely upset. I agree with you. It's going to be late in the season as that team gels, and it's probably going to be because it's a trap game for some team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think um, at least in terms of the upset, uh, I'm not sure if it'll be more Maryland, um, but that's interesting that you that you would say that. Um, in terms of my prediction, I'm kind of on the same the same. Uh, wavelength here um i think they're going to probably lose two to three ish in non-conference play um just because i think some of those those games are going to be more 50 50 than i think some people realize like the oklahoma state game i figure they'll probably win one probably lose one in the the puerto rico uh tip off um in big 10 play my my you know safe bets so to speak, would be somewhere from three to eight conference wins. I think it's going to be somewhere in between there. That's the safe one. Uh, if I had to pin it down, I think I would say four or five. So pretty close to where you are, I would say. Um, you know, the the tough thing is, you know, even if, even if you are high on Minnesota, the tough thing is, you know, that stat I was just talking about, you know, 15 out of 18 games are – they're probably going to be an underdog in, you know, maybe they're favored. I think they play Rutgers on the road. So they'll probably be favored in that one, but you're talking like 14 of 18 games that you're an underdog in, even if you're a slight underdog, that's still, that's just so tough to win games in. Um, So I do think it's going to end up around four to five. Uh, They pull the upset over someone, someone uh, big late in the year. Um, I don't think that's enough to get into the NIT. Um, I'm not sure what win total that would put them at. Probably, yeah, it looks like it would be short. Um, but, yeah, I, I think they would turn down the CBI most likely again. And uh, But next year looks more promising, <laughs> I guess, to end on an uplifting you know, note. <laughs> well, I, I mean, there, there's always next year is a Minnesota right. Gopher fan free. So we, we have we have that. We have that ready to go. Yeah, I mean, my only thing on, on why it would be Maryland is that Maryland plays Wisconsin, then us, then mm-hmm. Michigan. And okay. so we are, we are the team on a schedule that would be the classic trap game overlook. But, yeah, I, I would say, I would say we're, we're in agreement on that front. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but yeah, all right. Uh, you know, you straight, thanks for joining us. Um, I appreciate it. Some interesting thoughts on Minnesota and I'm sure, you know, in a month we'll all be completely wrong and, you know, hopefully nobody <laughs> listens to this again, but, um, but yeah, any, any final thoughts on Minnesota, any final thoughts on the big 10, uh, before we let you go here? Why well, I, I continue to be annoyed that Maryland and Rutgers are considered big 10 teams. Uh, but other than that, no, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. It was a blast. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. And um, thank you again for joining us. Yeah, have a good one. All right. And again, everyone, that was uh, U Street from the Daily Gopher. Uh, that is SB Nation's Minnesota blog. Um, again, uh, I don't think either of us had great uh, optimism about this season for Minnesota, but um, but it should be an interesting team. It should be a more exciting team than it has been in the last couple of years. And you know, as we mentioned, you know, if they have a couple players who can come in, uh, some newcomers and some underclassmen hit the ground running, it could be a pretty good team. Um, but with that, uh, I'm Thomas Bendit, the manager at BT Powerhouse. Um, and that's all we have on, on Minnesota here today. Uh, our next one is probably going to be uh, Nebraska or Iowa. Um, but excited to keep this, this preview train going. Uh, thanks again, and uh, everyone enjoy your weekend.